0: okay uh all right okay so now we're gonna do that bumper that we talked okay. about well, anytime you're ready go this is ken Clodoris with stillness to success and you're listening to jeff smith vroom vroom veer whoa you sounded like that sexy nighttime dj guy <laughs> good job ken okay i'm gonna hit stop i'll be right back Catty Duragi, thank you so much for being on Vroom Vroom Veer and welcome to the show. How's it going?
1: Thanks, Jeff. Glad to be here. Things are going great.
0: Things thank are you. awesome, right? I'm on the beach. You're in your house. You're dwelling in possibilities. It's an awesome Friday. Yeah. Okay. So you are at CaddyDuragi.com and also you have your book out, thebutterflyyears.com. So, yeah. And talk a little bit about what you're most excited about in your business, which is different, but go ahead and talk about it anyway.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I have run, I, I own a recruiting agency for creative talent. So advertising, marketing, design talent. Awesome. And every day is an exciting day because we're working with creatives. So there, is, there are no two days that are the same. Um, <laughs> just, I get to look at amazing portfolios every single day and get inspired.
0: Oh, that sounds fun. Yeah. So I'm a creative groupie is what I call myself. <laughs> <laughs> and I bet you're a creative yourself. Not in the
1: traditional sense. Um, although I did write a book, so I guess I am. Yes, you are creative. now. You are yeah, now. I am, I am now. Yeah. So.
0: <laughs> that was awesome. Okay. So later on, not now, later on, this is the tease moment, right? We're going to talk about a story that includes transformation. Good word. Hope. Good word. And living in the moment, but not right now. First, this is Vroom Vroom Veer, right? So everybody knows Vroom Vroom Veer. We have to go back in time and talk about you and uh, your childhood. So, where did you grow up?
1: I grew up in Iran,
0: uh, so wow. I am um, okay. That's a different answer. I've never talked to somebody that grew up in Iran. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> so I, I'm an immigrant. I have an right. immigrant story in there. So I, I grew up there i was there until i was 13 okay and we moved uh when the iranian revolution happened so i moved um my mom and my brother and i we moved to the states right and and my dad stayed behind and that's a whole nother story maybe i'll write a book about that (laughs) one (laughs) (laughs) sounds like some drama there right just yeah just life drama world drama of course yes
0: wow Okay, you, you just teased a whole nother show. We'll save that. <laughs> <week>. <laughs> so, what was like uh, childhood growing up in uh, Iran like? Iran, Iran was fantastic. It's such a beautiful, rich country.
1: We had a great family life. Uh, very strong. say very strong women influences in my life. Uh, My grandma was a very strong person. My mom was a very strong person. I was surrounded by my mom's cousins and sisters. And just like that side of the family was uh, a huge influence on my life. So life was good. And then things changed.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Talk about culture shock going from there to the States. So where did you land in the States?
1: Yeah. So, you know, Tehran at the time was... I think maybe 10 million people. It was a very, very big city. So wow. we left We left there and we went to, to London for a short time. And that's okay. another big city. And then we yes. landed in Los Altos, California, pre-Silicon wow. Valley. So it was a sleepy little town. You're right. Nothing lights in- out at 8 p.m. Wow.
0: Yeah. Everything folded big up. Shock. Like if you didn't get your shopping done before dark, you got to oh, wait yeah. till tomorrow. Exactly. Wow.
1: Exactly. Okay. So that okay. was a big shock, and high school was a shock because we, when we moved, it was already in the middle of ninth grade. Okay. And I think high school is tough for everybody. Many people, yes. anyway. Uh, everybody. Let yes. alone, yeah. Let alone it being in the middle of the year, right. and you know, during this time, the hostage crisis had happened in Iran as well. Right. So I that, remember that wasn't. Yeah. Right. That wasn't quite fun to be Iranian at the time, or. At least my thirteen-year-old self didn't know how to be Iranian, so sure, I I pretended I was something
0: else. Really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we're all doing a level of that, but yeah, that yeah. sounds a little traumatic.
1: You know, it, it was, and yeah, as as a young as a young teen, you know, I, we don't really have the tools to cope as well.
0: Not really, no.
1: So my best mechanism for coping was to pretend I was Italian.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Hey, why not? You know, I think a thing that people don't get, I guess, parents maybe forget is that like I know in high school, like all I cared about is fitting in. Right, trying to find a place to fit in, mm-hmm. Even, and nobody does. Right, <laughs> but we all kind of find like refuge in in our groups and our you know our little mini identities. Right, but, exactly. Right. Okay. So, did you end up going to college after high school?
1: I did. So, the two great things that came out of college were t- two profess two teachers that were very influential for me. One was my. High school English lit teacher, and the other one was uh, my history teacher. So, Mr. Ferentino's and Mr. Halstead. Okay. And so, when I went to college, I went to UC Santa Cruz and I. Nice. I hardly spoke. I mean, I spoke English, but I didn't speak English very well. Okay. But I, for some reason, I just chose to become a literature major. So, I just make (laughs) things real. Yeah, I made things really hard on myself because I had to work twice as hard.
0: Right. First, you have to learn the words, right? And then.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But hopefully somewhere, Mr. Ferentinos will be proud that I actually wrote a book. So he, his influence definitely was long-lasting, even though I didn't realize it at the time.
0: Wow, okay. You know. So was it kind of like a party kind of school or was it more like you're working and going to school? And what was the experience like?
1: UC Santa Cruz was a phenomenal school. Okay. Uh, at the time, well, first of all, like looking at your beach picture here. <laughs> you, you know, <laughs> right. <laughs> Santa Cruz is a beach city. Yes. You know, I, my my room didn't look at the ocean, but our quad area, you just looked over and you just saw this just beautiful w- water and That's Northern awesome. California is such a beautiful place. And this right. was in the, you know, in the jungles of Santa Cruz mountains. Um, right. And it was just absolutely stunning. So I made, uh, for some people it was a party school. I don't think it was necessarily a party school for me. What okay. it really was for me speaking of transformation. Uh, it was I think my first opportunity to just kind of find my legs. The first, the first, the the high school years were just really, really difficult and I never fit in.
0: Right. And just surviving mode, right?
1: Yeah, for sure. And Santa Cruz really opened its arms. And even though I was a fish out of water, you know, I was definitely not the the Santa Cruz hippie vibe, but I loved every moment of it. And I think the friendships that I made there have been long lasting lifetime friendships. Right. And everybody was accepting that right. that's the biggest, that was, that was the biggest lesson. It was v- a very, very inclusive. I think community. You got
0: lucky. Cause that mm-hmm. I, I, um, went to, so one time my wife went to Japan cause she's Japanese. They do that. You get people, Japanese people go to Japan. <laughs> they go
1: to Japan? Yeah, okay.
0: quite a bit. Uh, <laughs> and for whatever reason, I don't remember why I didn't go to. And on this occasion, I decided, well, I don't want to spend this long weekend before Mother's Day. I guess it wasn't a long weekend. I think it was Mother's Day weekend, though. And I went to a retreat somewhere in Northern California. I'm blanking on the name of the place I went to. Um... But it was like a dance and singing and music retreat. And okay. A, well, that and sounds like fun. And the people running it were from Santa Cruz, I think, or somewhere around Santa Cruz. So most of the people participating in this thing, it was like the um, <clears throat> dancing, singing weekend. <laughs> Lots of yoga and uh, swimming. And it was awesome. Um, that but, sounds like Santa Cruz. Yeah. Those people were amazing. I had never met. Uh, a more open group of people. Yeah. Um, yeah, obviously they weren't all from Santa Cruz, but a lot of them were. And I was like, wow, I got to check this place out. <laughs> I haven't not yet, but mm-hmm. it's on my list. Yeah. So good for you. Yeah. That is definitely that. Yeah. I don't know if it was definitely like, it's like this yoga spiritual hippie is a good word, right? Mm-hmm. Definitely fits you know, everybody's just nobody's judging anybody. Everybody's exactly just right. They're not even asking you. You know, you know the the hard questions. Like mm-hmm. they're just I, yeah. lo- love first, you know, <laughs> and then and then get to know you. You know.
1: Yeah, and you know you're so right. I hadn't really thought about this till you just said it. I was really lucky that that's where I landed because it really was. I mean, who knows how else it, I would have turned out if it was somewhere else, but it was just such an inclusive community without judgment.
0: Right, 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 right. right. Yeah. 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 I was, I was in a stupid place there and everybody was very nice to me. (laughs) (laughs) I had no idea what I was supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. And one of the, uh, uh, leaders or I don't even know if it was a leader, just somebody that did know what we were supposed to be doing. Um, they came up to me and said, "Like, you know, you should be looking at your feet when you're dancing," and I was like, "What? Oh, okay. Well, what what I was doing was just dancing and treating it like a dance, but it was supposed to be this sort of like way of moving, but being more with your uh, focus on you. So a lot of people danced with their eyes closed, and they weren't looking. It was supposed to be a non-judgmental kind of movement exercise." Right. And so I was like, just my eyes were on everybody else. Right. Trying constantly to make eye contact like I'm at a dance. Right. (laughs) And because that's the only thing I'd ever done. And they're like, you should be looking at your feet. I'm like, how can I look at my feet and not fall down? Well, you know, you don't have to look right at your feet, (laughs) but try not to make eye contact with other people dancing. Oh, Mm -hmm. okay, I can do that. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Be
1: present with yourself.
0: Exactly. That's where they were going. Yes. Mm -hmm. See, you get it. (laughs) And I got it once they explained it to me. Mm. Okay. So, all right. So you finished college and you've got your degree now, right? So what was your first job after college?
1: So my first job after college, I was in retail and I stayed in retail for 10 years. Clearly nothing to do with my English lit degree. Right. Um, However, I... Learned how to be articulate and how to carry on a conversation. So, yeah. which I think the liberal arts are just phenomenally useful in life. Yes, maybe not. I wasn't planning on being a teacher or kind of going into that path, but after I finished Santa Cruz, I went to fas- a fashion school. I went to the Fashion Institute of oh. Design and Merchandising. Oh wow! Okay, so, that's so completely I was, different. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, I wanted to go earlier, but my mom <coughs> wouldn't let me go. She said I have to finish my four year degree first okay. before I could do a specialized um, education. So Did I've something always that add- might
0: make you some money first, is that the idea? Or at least learn something?
1: Well, I think her hope had been that I was going to be a doctor. And after the first semester in oh, <laughs> of wow. taking chemistry after the <laughs> take, after chemistry class, I was she's like, No, you're not gonna be a doctor. It's like, no, <laughs> I can't even I can't I couldn't even wrap my head around it. So right. I'm definitely a uh I guess I am more of a creative. My 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 brain definitely skews to more liberal arts, uh, for sure. So I went to fashion school, and I worked at Macy's um, for 10 years. Oh, wow. Okay. uh, I grew up in the the ranks and worked at three different stores and was a senior manager there and absolutely loved every single day. Um, Oh, good for you. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the things that's really important to me, uh, and I didn't really just see the connection at first uh, but one of the things that's really important to me is to be in a situation where i can help others become better stronger versions of themselves okay. and so what i did in retail i was a personal shopper for many years oh and wow.
0: my wife did that for a while she loved yeah it i loved yeah <laughs> i loved did it. too yeah it's like shopping with other people's money
1: <laughs> yeah i loved it and speaking of transformation, uh, you know, it may not seem deep enough, but to help, <laughs> yeah. But to help somebody build confidence or self-confidence, you know, first externally and then ha- have it help them grow internally, um, that's something that I got a chance to do every day, and I loved it.
0: That sounds fun. Mm-hmm. You can learn. You, the thing about retail is, is you're learning about the best and worst of people Mm -hmm. and how, and how to deal with that. Right. Because everybody gets sort of entitled when they, when they're shopping, (laughs) it's like, I can, I'm the customer and I'm in charge. Right. And you have to deal with that. (laughs) So not everybody, I'm not saying everybody, but some, right. Some people take on that sort of like, I, I, I'm the king of the world. I'm the queen of the, the store kind of attitude. Mm -hmm. And then you have to sort of talk them, talk them down. Right.
1: Well, it taught me, it certainly taught me how to connect with people on a different level. And it it certainly taught me customer service, which I think to, to this day it has helped me grow, you know, grow my recruiting business is the customer is always right. Right. Um, (laughs) You know, but, but, but we also have to take care of our employees and our teams. So the customer can't be right at the expense of what's Uh, happening on on the team front, you know, so that's true. So you got to be able to manage both sides of it.
0: That's true. The customer may, customer uh, may always be right, but that doesn't mean that they get to abuse people. That's not right. Right. (laughs) Which was, uh, you know, I think in the military, it took me a long time to figure out those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. Like, um, I had a boss that I ultimately, I'll go ahead and admit, I really didn't get along with. <laughs> it took me a really long time to figure him mm-hmm. out. He, he had a master's degree in psychology um, and, and he was trying to use psychology on me and I had no clue how to make that guy happy. But what he was really good at was he was like the uh, chief master sergeant. So in the military, that's the highest rank of enlisted people, right? So basically, they're really powerful and nobody can tell them what to do. <laughs> so they can, they can be mean. They can, they can take a stand. They can be powerful and stand in it and nobody can do anything to them, right? So if, it, if I screwed up, he was going to take care of that. That was going to be between me and him. And, and, and I did, and he did, right? And that's why we're, where we didn't get along. But if anybody else tried to mess with me, he would stand up and say, get the hell out of here. (laughs) He would defend me, right? He had your back. He Mm -hmm. had my back. And I didn't even understand what that concept was, right? Like Mm -hmm. It's almost like it reminds me of my big brother, right? It was my big brother's job to beat me up and torture me. Nobody else could. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) Right? He had my back. So in a weird way, even though I didn't like the beating up and the torture and, you know, all that, I did respect the fact that he had my back. Yes.
1: What branch of military were you in?
0: I was in the air force 20 years.
1: Air force. Wow.
0: Yeah. that was awesome. Amazing.
1: Yes. Well, thank you for your service. You're welcome.
0: Thank you for, uh, you know, being a thanker of my service. I don't even know how to respond (laughs) to that. (laughs) It was mostly fun, Uh, you know, so it, You're welcome. That's the best I can say. Okay. So let's go back in time and talk about this story of transformation, Mm -hmm. hope, living in the moment. You said it started sad, but it's not a sad story, right? So let's do that because we said we would.
1: All right. So the story and the the book that I wrote is a a memoir. It's my story through grief. And um, because it's through grief toward hope. It does start sad. It starts with the death of my mom. And yeah, that's going to be sad. That's going to be sad. It is very, very sad. Um, But it's also really about just what I learned about life and, and, Kind of realizing that, as sadness was happening, there was a lot of life happening at the same time right. so the a quick backstory just to bring the audience up to speed is I lost four family members, uh, three of them within four months of each other, so it was my my stepmom, my dad, and my mom all died within four months of each other and that's then a lot. that's a lot. it's a lot and um I don't know why I said I lost four family members. I lost six family members, three of them in a four, per- four month period, and then three others uh, in subsequent couple of years. So wow. it, yeah, it was a pretty dark time uh, and a very tumultuous time, a time that I think I questioned a lot, uh, but it was also a time that I realized how precious life is mm, Right. and really recognizing. And that's why I said, you know, live in the moment because you know, it could be gone. Tomorrow, right, and right. not to not no to guarantees, dwell. right? No guarantees, and this we are here. Let's kind of just maximize it, love it, live it. You know, be yes. nice to people, right? right? Um, and where the transformation comes from, I actually had seen this proverb, this quote that said, "Just when the caterpillar thought the world was over, it became a butterfly." And <laughs> right, why my why my book is called the Butterfly Years? And somebody just gave me this, this little butterfly (laughs) last weekend as a gift, which I, which I love. Right. So it symbolizes, you know, going through a hardship and going through a really, really dark time, but coming out on the other side and coming out with hope hope.
0: and, and,
1: and taking flight. Right. Right. that's kind of, that's where the transformation piece comes from. And the, the hope piece, I always talk about, excuse me. I always talk about, so you you find this interesting. So my mom lived in Vegas. Okay. No, your hometown. Right. And uh, she passed away in April of 2011 and coming, if you know where Sunrise Hospital is, that's where she, that's where she died. So coming and they lived at um, the country club, um, the Las Vegas country club estates.
0: Okay. Wow.
1: Yeah. You know, right there. Um, so not too far from the hospital. Okay. And I remember coming home from the hospital, driving through where they lived and like the flowers were so beautiful. The birds right, were right, chirping. Right. Yeah. It was just the most beautiful day. Although I had gone through such a darkness <clears throat> with having just, you know, witnessed death. Right. But there was so much life happening around me simultaneously. Mm. So that was a big, big lesson on that first day of her death. Right. I just kind of recognize that. You know what? I'm so lucky. I, I I'm lucky. Wow. I'm still here. Okay. She isn't. But I need to live life because she can't, and because my dad can't, and because my stepmom can't. I kind I need that responsibility to live for them.
0: Mm. Right. It's
1: kind of the that's kind of the journey I decided to embark on. Um, Although certainly would be very easy to not go there and to just really be um, in a dark space. And and I I vacillated back and forth between grief and it's a process.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. It still is a process. Yeah. And it doesn't stop. (laughs) Um, I'm going to go ahead and admit, Right. I'm fifty almost three. Almost fifty three. Um now I've had people, relatives, aunts, grandparents, um, but no one like super close. Mm-hmm. So I can say I am a grief, don't know anything about it person. Really don't. Uh, um, not mm-hmm. I know about it, I haven't experienced it. So like when I was just, phew, in grade school, my uncle, who was like um, really young, he was a young teacher, just married my uh, my aunt, and she was young too. They had just finished college. They were both teachers in their twenties, I think, maybe thirties, twenties. She had one kid and was pregnant. He died in a car accident, mm-hmm. and I had no idea how to feel. I remember. You know, I grew up in the Midwest and the Midwest is like they don't, they're not allowed to have emotions (laughs) like publicly ever. But this is one of those times that it's publicly acceptable to have emotions. So that was interesting to me academically, Mm -hmm. right? I was like, okay, when people die, you're allowed to cry a lot. (laughs) And they do. And I remember her crying and saying and coming up and hugging us, Me, my brother and my sister and just saying, oh, my God, he he loved you kids so much and just crying with grief. I can honestly say as a kid, I had no clue how to respond to that other than cry, you know. So I think I'd cried, but I was like, I didn't know you that well and you hadn't been around that long. I'm sorry you died and I I have no idea how to process this, Mm -hmm. if that makes any sense. (laughs)
1: Yeah, it does. And I think
0: adults,
1: adults still go through that too. Right. You know, we like, we don't know
0: how to process. Right. I don't know how to act. I I didn't know how to act. So I was looking at people going cry now. Okay. (laughs) It's Mm -hmm. really a weird feeling though. Mm -hmm. Um, Right. And so like with you, I mean, it wasn't just one, it was many over a short period of time. Let's, how how was it who was the first person that you lost? The first
1: person was my stepmom. And right. uh but I did so I didn't know that they had died. So this is this is I think a very interesting Brilliant. thing that happened to me and it delayed it delayed what was going on. So my dad and my stepmom were still in Neuron. Okay. And my dad had Parkinson's and he had been in a in a in a hospital. Um a nursing home for, for some time. Okay. And my stepmom was the one that I was getting reports of how he was doing and messages. Cause because of Parkinson's, his vocal cords had been impacted so he couldn't really speak. Okay. So she, she had been my, you know, my connection to him. Right. So one day my brother and my, no, my, not my brother, my stepbrother. So her son called to let me know that my dad had died And I had been so involved in my own mother's care. This was, you know, she was towards the end of her life too, that I think my head was just in the sand. The only one that I was involved with, talked about, cared about at the time was my mom. So I've, you know, I kind of neglected what was going on back in Iran. Okay. Um, Until my stepbrother called, told me what was going on. And I said, oh my God, like I had no idea. I'll call your mom So that I can check in with her. And that's when he said, well, she actually passed away the month before.
0: Oh, my goodness.
1: Yeah. So that I just felt so we were talking, you and I were talking about emotions and what's the biggest emotion. Um, Judgment and guilt was my biggest emotion. Sure. How how did I not know? How did I not know that my dad had died? Right. Right. right.
0: And so now you're beating yourself up a little bit. Yeah. Right. Right.
1: Yeah. While still so embroiled in this other thing happening here in front of my eyes. Right.
0: Right. I'm dealing with this other person. Right. And but I let I I dropped the ball on these other two people. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I get it. Uh, And so, like, I think the there's this sort of like big book of dying out there. right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. And that that's the one that laid out the the stages of grief. I, mm-hmm. I listened to a podcast. I think it was an NPR podcast about the lady that wrote that, mm-hmm. and it it kind of came out with it's like step one is this, step two is that, step three is that. That's not how it works, right? That's not how it. That's works, not so. how it works. <laughs> so that talk a not, little bit about no. like yeah. each one of those may or may not happen, but they 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 can happen out of order and not happen at all, or you know like you might get stuck in one, and it's not like this thing that's just okay, I have to like go through this map now. That's not how it works.
1: Yeah, I was expecting to have step one and then that ending and step two starting. I think we all,
0: as soon as we hear that there's a a bunch of steps, we want them to go in order, right?
1: Yeah, there are no steps. I mean, there are steps, but certainly there's no order. And I'm not even sure if that's what she meant it, uh, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. I don't know if she meant it that way. I think it probably got interpreted that way.
0: right. Exactly. Yes. You know, uh, because when for she, me, uh, when she yeah. uh, rewrote about it or talked about it, she said, no, 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 I know that's how it ended up in the book. Yeah. It was never sp- supposed to go in order. You have to finish yeah. this one before you can do the next one. Yeah. That's not how it works.
1: <laughs> yeah. It would be good if it was a systematic thing and then you kind of came out of it. Right. Right. Like, oh, we- you
0: graduated from grief. <laughs> we would be robots. <laughs> As it yeah. turns out, we're not. Um, yeah. Right.
1: Yeah, it's very much a so circular thing, and it's yes. and
0: they come back. Yeah. They come back. Oh yeah, right. comes
1: back. It's simultaneous. You can be feeling, you know, lo- love and loss at the same time, and you right. have, you know, it, I don't personally know if there's such a thing as acceptance. You kind of learn to live with it. I don't know if
0: right. I mean, I guess no.
1: I guess it's called acceptance for some, but yeah, it's bizarre. You it's it's like a wave. You
0: carry it with you. You carry it with you always. It doesn't go away. Mm -mm. Right. Right. Mm -mm. I mean, and depends on, uh, I suppose, maybe how you view like your belief system, maybe mm -hmm. like how you sort of learn to live with it. It's it's different than, okay, I'm done with that now. Right. That's not, I'm, you're never going to be done with it. Yeah. Uh, Right. That's,
1: yeah, that's kind of has been my philosophy and how I've talked about it in my book is you know, I, I compare it to, like when it first happens, when when grief is in its early stages, it's like this big open wound. You know, it's, it's just
0: like shock. I would imagine. Yeah, yeah, right. So
1: it's a big, big wound. It hurts all the time. But then over time, it this, you wow. know, it the wound closes up. It scabs over. Right. And in in time, it may not hurt anymore until you run your hand on the on the scar you will always remember that scar is always there and it will always remind you of the time that you you had that particular wound and different things trigger it right like you smell something amazing and it suddenly takes you back to your childhood and then that childhood reminds you of your mom or your parent or whomever so it's very cyclical circular i don't know what would be the correct word for it but um it comes and goes all the time even years later
0: Right. right, yeah. I I work with a uh, a woman who lost her like twenty four year old daughter. Oh yeah, I know. She got some sort of flu, like before COVID. Mm. And you know there are a small number of people who randomly die from the flu every year. Mm -hmm. And she was one of those people. Uh, We don't, I don't want to get too far into that because I don't know all the details, but Mm. she is still, I mean, especially the anniversaries, right. That's always a big deal for her. Yeah. She usually takes off work (laughs) because she just can't deal with seeing people. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. That totally makes sense.
1: Yeah. And I'm also a big believer. uh, I wonder if this you know, if, if she does something like this, I'm, I'm a big believer in rituals. So I actually mm. call uh, the anniversary, like the death anniversary days. I, I don't like that word at all. So I made up my own word. I call it an anniversary.
0: Anniversary. And,
1: yeah. <laughs> okay. So so it's, it's a good day to honor. Uh, at oh, least that's okay. what I gotcha. do. Okay. Right? You know, it's, uh, I I usually go to the beach and take some flowers from my mom. Celebrate Uh, life. Yeah. You know, celebrate them, honor them. So it's an anniversary. I'd rather look at it from the hopeful side of it, the positive side of it. Yes. Um, Even though it's an incredibly hurt,
0: you know, it's a day that's full of pain. Right. No. Right.
1: But I'd, I'd, I'd like to, you know, I'd like to wear a little something that, is of hers. I like to, and of my dad. So I have several anniversaries clearly (laughs) in a a course of a year, but you know, like I have a little glass of wine. That's my dad's favorite or my stepdad's favorite wine. I, I cheers him or have a cup of tea for my mom or, you know, just little, little things. I have my own little rituals and I expect that most people probably have their own little rituals
0: that. uh, Yeah. I think rituals would really help, Mm -hmm. especially because it, again, I would imagine one of these honor bursaries. you know they're coming, so mm-hmm. if, if you plan something, at least you've got a plan. Now you you're not avoiding the pain. That's that's going to happen. Um, but you, I, I don't know. Yeah, everybody. It, the first thing that comes to my mind would be. Get together with people that knew them, love them, and tell them uh, tell amazing stories of their life. That could Mm -hmm. be (laughs) that could be fun, right? So like what they do in an Irish wake. It's like yeah, let's party because we miss them and we love them and they're still with us.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Right. Actually, the reason I wrote my book is uh, I had walked into um, we had the King Tut exhibit here in L.A. uh, Okay, I remember quite a few years ago. Yeah, yeah. And I walked into the first room of the exhibit and on the wall, it said uh, from the Egyptian book of the dead. And it said people die twice once when they physically die. And the second time when people stop saying their names. So that was an impetus for me to just say, you know what? I don't have kids. Okay. I really can't pass the legacy or down to someone else. And this is, this is my way. This is my way of continuing to keep them alive because their name is now in print and hopefully whomever picks up that book. It's out in the universe. You you got it
0: out. Yes. So that was the goal. That's a creative expression, right? It was in Mm -hmm. your heart. It was in your mind and now it's out in the world. So Mm -hmm. that's, that's a nice way to honor, right? Mm -hmm. People that you've lost. So let's talk a little bit about, um, well, I I don't know if you probably answered this one already, but I'm going to change the question Okay. So I saw a movie, and it was about grief. I can't remember what it was. Something like deeply lovely, madly, madly deeply lovely. It's about this uh, woman who mm-hmm. loses her husband, and the husband comes back and haunts her as a ghost. <laughs> and um, and they live together, and then other ghosts show up. It's hilarious, but also heartbreaking. But um one of the things that I found most amazing about that movie and I think they use it a lot in in grief studies and in teaching people about how to process grief is how people are surprised that they're angry at the person that died. Mm-hmm. I think this probably happens a lot with between spouses. Um but I suppose it could happen with anybody. So did you mm-hmm. experience any uh anger? Oh yeah. For okay. sure. Okay. For sure. That's a super o- honest answer and really quick. <laughs> Good for you. Yeah. Yeah. So describe that. How did you feel angry?
1: Well, my mom died of lung cancer and she was also a smoker. And so I was angry at her for years for smoking, even you know before, before she, she died, died.
0: Yeah. before she died. Right. Which is such not the right thing to do. Uh, because well, I mean, it is what it is. You can't judge an emotion, but I get it. Yeah, I know where yeah, you're going.
1: <laughs> but, you know, lung cancer, there's a few diseases out there that have a stigma to them. Right. And I cannot tell you how many times I've told people that my mom died of lung cancer and their very next question is, oh, was she a smoker?
0: Right. And, yeah, it's she like, was. It's an automatic judgment built into our system. It is. Yes. It is. Right. And...
1: So how, I had how many that smokers judgment.
0: don't die of lung cancer. Yeah. Way
1: more. And ha- <laughs> way more, right. Yeah. And I've had plenty of people in my family who died who died of lung cancer and they were not smokers. Right. So but n- now now I'm smarter and I know, but <laughs> back then I wasn't angry, and back. Right. I was angry and I was very judgy and I yeah. I lumped the two together you would never hear someone say oh so-and-so died of breast cancer you know Mm. and have a have a reason or died of brain cancer and have a reason but lung cancer automatically has that stigma yes and i had it sure so i was angry at her and i think the the latter years of her life and i regret this big time the latter years of her life we probably argued more than We should have you know it was too late to change anything even if she had quit smoking it wouldn't have changed anything right right so anger was a very dominant uh emotion before or after
0: before and after right Mm
1: -hmm. only if she didn't smoke but that's that's not the case especially afterwards you know my uncle died of lung cancer and he didn't smoke and Um, And it's unfortunate,
0: but it probably helped you have an aha moment at least. Yeah. Right. (laughs) I can now stop judging and being angry at mom Yeah. because that's just not probably what, what, you know, if you're going to die, you're going to die. Right. Yeah. And And who knows? and who knows? And and really, I mean, I, 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 I'm going to tell this story again because I like, I love it. So I, I had a college teacher. Um, way back when in Hawaii in like the early 90s and he was also an energy worker and Mm -hmm. for whatever reason he invited me to get some energy work at his house on the weekend or something and then after that he told me this story that he had heard Um, I think it was in a book but it was a guy who was sitting on a beach and just watching the waves roll in and uh, it's kind of like what's behind me right now right? (laughs) and and this voice just sort of like arose in his head and said we're not here to know we are not here to compare and we are not here to judge and he said i try to live my life by these Mm -hmm. and i was like shut up (laughs) I, i don't even know how to respond to that let alone you know take that in and try to work with that because i was like 20 right but now that I'm not 20 and I'm 53 almost, um, I think, uh, I, I want to live that way. It's hard. Mm-hmm. It's hard to mm-hmm. believe those things and act in a way that makes it seem as though that is true. But whenever I catch myself judging people, I try to remember that. Um, mm-hmm. and comparing to, I mean, yeah, and, and knowing is the hardest one because we all want to know things. Um, yeah. we can know as much as we want, but it's not gonna, you know, change much. <laughs> yeah.
1: So, what was the what was the second one? We're not here to know. We're not here to compare. Compare.
0: Okay,
1: I yeah. write that down.
0: And we're not here to judge. Right. Yeah. It, so, like, I think the the compare and judge. Most people go, yeah, yeah. I, I've been I've been caught doing that. The knowing thing is mm-hmm. like really. I still struggle with that one. Yeah. But I mean, you think about like all the knowledge in, in on Earth that you could possibly get. Is not going to tell you much about the universe.
1: Yeah, <laughs> right, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, and I tell you, there's a lot of comparison and judging in grief.
0: You know, of
1: course. I, I judge myself. I probably you know would look around and say, hmm, I wonder if that person's crying, you know, more, or should I be crying more, or I'm yes. not crying enough, or <laughs> yes. and it's just yes. so not right. Right. You know,
0: i I'm. Um, I think probably. I I'd hate being in any sort of situation where I don't know how to act. I think we all have a fear of that, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know what I'm supposed to be feeling now. <laughs> that that ambivalence of like, I don't have I've never had this experience before. I don't know what to do with it. I think that's hard. I don't know. Did you experience any of that?
1: Yeah, for sure. And I think that's the the probably the biggest lesson I learned was that we all grieve differently. Okay. You know? Yes. what I go through is different than what my brother went through and right. will be different than when somebody else's, you know, loved ones pass away. We all kind of we all own our own emotions and this, we don't know what's happening, but there's no comparison. Right. And there certainly is no judgment either. And, but it took me a while to learn. And that I hope that's a lesson that people learn from, from the book. Right. Is that we just own it the way it is, you know, just cause I'm not wearing black or I'm not crying enough or whatever. It doesn't mean that I'm not in pain. I am, but i am just not, you know, maybe it's an inward thing. It's not right. so much a, an external right. thing.
0: I don't want to, I don't want to dump that on you right now.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a cultural thing. Different cultures just deal with it differently. You know, there's mm. norms in different cultures and right. you know, it's, you know, just, just, just to be with people. I mean, that's the important thing is
0: just to be present and just to be. Right. And let, let the, let the process sort of happen. Yeah. 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 And there's not
1: a magic word to say to someone to take their
0: pain away. No, that's the other thing is people have no idea what to say to you. Yeah. Right. They don't. Sorry for your loss. Trust in God. Things like, I mean, okay, you have to say something. Thanks. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Sorry. You know, Right. It's, it's, so let's talk about how we're getting through to hope and 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 maybe like some of uh, what, what you found out from positive psychology and post-traumatic growth. So a couple of
1: things happened. Uh, one was, uh, I think probably most of your audience knows this Maya Angelou uh, quote that says, hope and fear cannot occupy the same space and like might that. want to stay. And uh, early on, as I was experiencing this duality of like love and loss and pain and you know death and life and like this thing was happening and I didn't know what was going on. I just knew that I had this just incredible zest for life. Like I was saying yes to everything. Wow! And taking taking on additional responsibility and going on more trips and like as if somebody turned on the switch button that said,
0: Hey. "Hey." live.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Time's running out. Go, right. go do whatever you want to do. Yes, um, And um, many years later, I was reading a book um, and in the book, uh, it was option B, uh, the Cheryl Sandberg, Adam Grant book. Okay. Uh, and in there, Adam Grant talks about post-traumatic growth. I'd never heard about it before. Right. Um, As opposed
0: he, to post-traumatic stress we've all yeah. heard of that. Yes, exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly.
1: And basically post-traumatic growth, um, you know not the scientific version of it, just the catty version of it, uh, basically says, you know, when someone goes through trauma and they decide that, okay, I'm going to take, I'm going to take life by the horns and I'm going to just Go with it. You know, there are people who, you know, they start foundations, for example, when they've lost a loved one right. to, to, a, to a disease or to a trauma. They go out that they, they help other people deal with it and they help support other people to, to deal with it. Um, this this notion of the zest for life was one of the things I was experiencing. I think writing the book was another way of me trying to help other people who are going through grief. Mm. And when I read about post-traumatic growth, it just made sense. I was like, oh, is that what's happening? Is that why I'm seeing the beauty in the world versus just Mm. feeling, you know, the sadness or I'm feeling sad one moment and feeling happy another moment. And it was hard to explain. Again, there's judgment in that too, right? There's, there's judgment in, I remember this, um, vividly going to a Zumba class, going to a little dance class, right, and doing it with so much guilt, even though it felt so good to be there and the endorphins were kicking in and I was just feeling, you know, it was was healthy for me to do that, but I was doing it with guilt because it was only six months after my mom had died and like, should I be dancing six (laughs) months later? I'm not allowed to have fun yet. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. And who says that, right? I say that does society say that?
0: No. no, 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 no. Yeah. Right. No. I mean, anything that pops into your head in that moment, I get right. Because you're, you're swimming in unknown waters. As they yeah. Say. <laughs> so exactly. I, I had uh, another guest. Um, she was in the shock phase. Okay. Just after her dad died mm. and she was just sitting in that pain and th- all the family members are just you know, they're just there in the pain and she just got up and said, I got to get out of here. Right. And she just took a walk out in the forest. Right. And she let just was present. Mm -hmm. Right. And then for about however long, five minutes or whatever, she got a break and she was like, Oh, okay. That, that pain isn't like permanent. It Mm -hmm. can take breaks. I know when I go back in there, <laughs> I'm going to yeah. be back in it. But she gave herself permission to have that little bit of, it's not an escape. You're not escaping. I've got a no escape clause in my spiritual rule book. You're not escaping anything, but you mm-hmm. can take a rest. You can take a break. You can set it down and say, I need a little recharge, right? Yeah. Yes.
1: Right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. And and nature, I think, has such a powerful. Nature is such a powerful tool for that. Totally. You know, we see, we yes. see regeneration and we see growth all the time. The sun does come out every morning, right? And you know, we see the flowers blooming and they right. that they die and then the buds come out. That's just, right. like, I think that just that regenerative nature, of, uh, nature of nature. Yes. Is uh, is a great medicine. Yeah. I, I know it was for me. But, you know, okay. It just, being out there going for walks, right? being with the flowers, going to the beach uh, and right. for her going to the forest, I'm sure she could probably pick up on that energy.
0: Yeah. 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 And just feeling like, like what you were saying before, like when you drove through and you, the, the birds were chirping, it was a beautiful day. It's like, mm-hmm. you're reminded that you are still alive and what a gift.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> we don't know what, is on the other side of death, but we're yeah. here now and enjoy this.
1: Yeah. And I mean, although at the time I was like, how dare the birds be singing, right? It's, like, <laughs> it's a sad day. How could, you know, how could there be so much beauty? It when should there's so be much raining
0: and there should be like dark clouds and no sunshine. <laughs> I get it. Wow. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Well, that's good. <laughs> at least we've opened up and we've started laughing about uh, dealing with Grief. And I think we've gotten to hope. So let's talk a little bit about how people can best get in touch with Caddy. Um, so go ahead and, and say, let's see, Caddy. And now I'm not, I'm going to say it wrong again. Doragi. There you go. Daragi. Dur- I know caddideragi.com, right?
1: Yes. Probably the easiest way is butterflyyears.com. That one, everybody everybody can spell that one. Yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And you're going to make a, uh, hold on, I wrote it down. You're going to make a discount code, right?
1: Yes, I'll make a discount code, room 15 for your audience. So I wrote the book, uh, just to give a little bit of a background to it. You're I sure. wrote the book, but that wasn't my intention initially. My intention was always to do some sort of a self-help book for people to go through their own grief journey. Okay, But, uh, but clearly the memoir and my parents' story, somebody from up there was like, no, you got to write this. Uh, so the book came out first. And after the book finished, I did create a journal, uh, for people to just journal for themselves. Uh, I'm a big, I'm a big, big proponent of having some sort of a, yeah, having Um, a tool to finish those unfinished conversations. I think that's the big, for me, that was the hardest part of grief. And the thing that really helped was to write and to continue uh, to to journal and continue. So writing the book
0: and and journaling about it, um, that was sort of like a therapeutic sort of
1: very much so very okay. very therapeutic very cathartic to right to and also to continue remembering like i had forgotten a lot of things about my mom i had only i was only remembering these last few years sure the, the illness right. years right right so right so writing and kind of going beyond that was super helpful to just remember <laughs> the good times yeah so i created the journal Yes, and for, really for that purpose, for people to take care of themselves, to remember the good times, to right take note of their gratitudes, their tell those know, stories. And all,
0: yes, yeah. yeah, and all the
1: good that's still around the them. The good things, really, yeah, the good things. Right. So that's what the discount is for. For anybody who's interested in in that to t- kind of go just go through their
0: own grief to growth journey. Gotcha. Okay, and that's room 15, and she's gonna give me a special link yep. that you can I'll find in the show notes. Caddy, this has been, I don't wanna say it was a blast, because I would feel bad about saying that, but it was transformational. <laughs> mm. It was a transformational blast. It ended in blast. Boo! There you go.
1: <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks, yep. Jeff. Th- thank Appreciate you. it.
0: All right, take care.
1: Okay, bye. bye.